for those of you um, who are still got a dog in the fight, thank you, Joseph, <laughs> you know, more power to you. So with, uh, with that in mind, um, guys, it is good to uh, be here today. And uh, if I don't know you yet, my name is Roland. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're excited over the next several weeks, as already has already been talked about, to do this series, which you see on the screen, which is called Explore God. And uh, really, it's a series for everybody. Um, It's a series whether or not you've grown up in the church. It's a series whether or not you've considered God before. Um, For those who've been walking with God for a period of time, hopefully it will strengthen your faith. Uh, For those who, like myself, did not grow up in the church, hopefully it will, over the course of the next several weeks, answer questions for you that will help you to grow in your faith so that you might, in fact, begin a relationship with the God who loves you, who made you, and who is making an appeal to be reconciled to him through his son. Jesus Christ. And so um, over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to be tackling several different topics, which you heard about. And today's particularly is, does life have a purpose? Uh, Does life have a purpose? And a very happy 28th birthday to Erica Jellerson. Okay. 28th birthday right now. That's right. God bless. Okay. So... (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So with that in mind, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump into the Word of God together. God, we thank you uh, for your Word to us today. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you that when you made us, you made us with a purpose, and that we find it only in Jesus, your Son. Help us today to have our eyes and our hearts open to you through your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today what we're going to do is we're going to actually discuss this topic of does life have a purpose, primarily looking at two places, one place in the uh, Old Testament and one place in the New Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, we're going to do a brief survey of a book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes was actually written by um, a man who had to wrestle with this idea of does life have a purpose and what in fact is the meaning of life, which we'll get to in a moment. And then uh, we'll actually end with what Jesus himself said about life's purpose and how we can find that in him. But I think all of us, regardless of whether or not you've grown up in the church, we've all had to consider the idea of does life have a purpose? Um, I remember not growing up in the church, and uh, though I came from a good home, Um, And many of you came from a good home, meaning that uh, even though my parents didn't raise me as a Christian, uh, they provided for me well. Uh, They allowed me to be educated well. Um, They allowed me to have many opportunities that even peers of mine did not have. However, in the midst of that, all that I had at my fingertips, I still struggled with a sense of what am I here for? What am I here for? And ultimately, what is my time? What is my energy? What are my resources meant to be spent to do? And I remember wandering about um, in the midst, especially my college experience when I was trying to figure out my trajectory in life and saying literally that life feels like it has no meaning. And this was before I knew God. This life feels like it really ultimately has no end or aim in and of itself. And really, as a, even as a Christian, sometimes people can feel that way. Not necessarily that life doesn't have a purpose, Purpose, but they think to themselves, you know, what, what, how am I supposed to spend my time? If life does have a purpose in God, and God has given me a purpose in life, what am I to do with my, um, how should I spend my time? Who should I spend my time with? Where should I work? You know, people are always considering the ideas of their career and their professional pursuits, or how should I spend my money? People have so much ex- disposable income nowadays that it's, um, it's almost ridiculous how many opportunities that we have. And all of that speaks of the purpose that we have. And whenever we're thinking about life and its purpose, I think often about
about some of the uh, men and women who've considered this issue, not just in biblical times, but also in modern times. They were um, artists, they were writers, they were philosophers. And I just wanted to share, first of all, a couple of the quotes uh, that stood out to me whenever um, we were considering this whole idea of purpose in life, because we all do it. Now, first of all, many of you um, know Leo Tolstoy. He wasn't necessarily uh, the most sanguine person um, um, around, the most uplifting person <laughs> always, but he considered the affairs of life. And Leo Tolstoy, when he was writing, he actually said, most of us do not spend a lot of time thinking about, <clears throat> I'm sorry, purpose, but he, he actually said this, then what is life for? What is it actually for? To die? To kill myself at once? No, I'm afraid. To wait for death till it comes? I fear that even more. Then I must live, but what for? The question is, is, is it only in order to die? Meaning that people are literally living to get to the point where they're going to die. Without God, that's their perspective. They're saying, God, I'm, they're saying, I'm here, but I don't know what it's for. And ultimately, I know there's an end of my life, but I'm waiting for the point of death. Ernest, Ernest Hemingway obviously said it this way, not the most upbeat person himself. He said, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. And a man named Samuel Beckett said it this way, they give birth a stride of a grave. The light gleams in an instant, then it's night once more. And finally, Henry David Thoreau, he was the poet, you know, he actually said it this way. This one's probably a little bit more familiar to you. He said, the mass of men and women live lives of quiet desperation. They live lives of quiet desperation because they're looking for purpose in life, but without God, they can't find it. And if you've ever walked without God, or even if you've grown up in a church culture, but you found that you didn't have a relationship with God, it was more of a cultural experience to you, you might have felt this way before. And how many of you have ever had friends, family members, coworkers, or neighbors who've expressed such things to you, or even had these thoughts in your own heart? Well, the good news is, is when we consider the idea of does life have a purpose, we can go specifically to what God's testified about himself, and not only about himself, but about his creation and what it was meant for. But when we look at how men and women of God have considered this issue of does life have a purpose, the first place that we can look, as I said, is Ecclesiastes. And the first person to write in detail about this was the king of an ancient, the ancient nation of Israel, and he was the son Solomon. He was the King Solomon, who was the son of King David, who was a man after God's own heart. But in the midst of uh, all of his life, he, he had all afforded to him that you probably would have ever wanted. He was the most powerful, the richest, and the person with the most ease in any parts of um, his life. He had it all, tried it all, and discovered more profound things as a result. Anything that his heart would have desired, it was King Solomon's to enjoy, right? We think about the things that people are pursuing nowadays, trying to get a sense of stability and trying to get a sense of purpose. They think about having money. Well, he had more money than he knew what to do with, okay? 
You think about people running after sexual encounters. Well, he had a thousand concubines, not to mention his wife, you know, that were afforded to him as the king of Israel. You think about uh, wisdom. God had given him more wisdom than anybody on the earth. And so he was able as a philosopher to consider the meaning of life and the things that are important. But at the end of the day, Ecclesiastes summarizes the conclusion that he had in trying to discover life's purpose. And I want to do a survey actually just considering what he found after he was able to, in essence, tackle the mountain in essence, get a hold of all that people in this world and in this life are actually chasing after. He had it all. There was nothing that you could want that he didn't have. There was nothing that you would pursue that he didn't get a hold of. Yet at the end of the day, having it all metaphorically, this was his conclusion. Let's look through some of these scriptures. First, he starts in Ecclesiastes 1-2. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher who was Uh, uh, King Solomon speaking about himself. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And it doesn't matter how many degrees you get. It doesn't matter how many letters you have after your name. It doesn't matter even how many excursions or experiences you have. At some point without God, if you're not centered in his purposes, how many people have ever experienced this as the cry of their heart? All of this is just meaningless. I'm just going through the motions. Another day, you almost feel like Groundhog Day. Anybody remember that, uh, that movie back in the day with Bill Murray, right? You get to wake up again and it's the same thing over and over again, never feeling like you're accomplishing something of some worth. And this is what um, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. He goes on in verse 16 through 18. He said, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. He was, he was saying basically he was a great philosopher. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He increases knowledge, increases sorrow, right? You think about some of the philosophers of our age, like Bertrand Russell. How many people are familiar with Bertrand Russell, okay? It's like yes, he's like grew in his knowledge or his philosophy. The more he said that he knew or he came upon in terms of philosophical pursuits, the more he d- dipped into or fell into nihilism, right? That life is out of order. It's, you know, without hope and without meaning. This is what uh, King Solomon found for himself when he was pursuing his his knowledge base as his identity or, or his knowledge base as his hope for meaning in life. He went on to talk in Ecclesiastes 2 verses 4 through 6 about this. He said, I made great work. So it wasn't just that I was a philosopher, but I made great things. So I was a man of great exploits. He says, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit in, in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So he was the original, right? MTV Cribs, you know, episode. He was the original, yummy know I lifestyles of the ultra rich, right? The secret lives of the ultra rich. Anybody's ever seen that before? They would have been at his house trying to figure that out. He was the one who had it all. And then he went on to say in verses eight through 11, I also gathered for myself 
through my work, through my industry, through all that was afforded to me. Like many of you think that if I could just reach a certain place of um, earning power in my career, then I'll be happy. If I just reach a certain place of, you know, uh, credentials in my professional life, then I'll be secure. But this is what he said, having done it all. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, right? It's sort of like you hear about when people have money to spare. They have these elaborate birthday parties, right, where they invite the most famous singer of the day, you know, to come and perform at their birthday party. This is King Solomon. He's like, I bought them all, right? And he says... He said, I got singers, men and women, and many concubines. He's like, my sexual drive had no end, and basically the satisfaction of it had no end. I was able to go from one encounter to another, the delights of the sons of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And that's the danger of our Christian living even today, right? It's sort of like you, you, you have this whole idea of my best life and my best life now, and God's basically a means to an end, that my end in and of itself or my purpose in life is to experience as much pleasure as I can. Because if God's good, that equates to God is there to afford me pleasure. And Solomon's basically saying that my pleasure knew no end because I finally got what everybody was looking for. He said, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, at the end of the day, after all those pleasures, all was vanity. All was vanity, and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun." If you ever lived for pleasure or you ever lived just for the weekend, you remember living for the parties that you would go to. Anybody remember being a party kid? You know what I mean? I mean, that was my life before walking with God. You know what I mean? I would just go from party to party, and it would be from one high to another. And I was almost in and of myself, in my heart of hearts, I was like, is this it? Is this it? Am I going to continually just have to wonder about what I, what I might have contracted or, you know what I mean, what type of fool I made of myself, you know what I mean, the night before because I was toasted, right? All of a sudden, he's like, at the end of the day, it's just vanities, vanities and a chasing after the wind, all the pleasures that I could afford myself. And quite frankly, even since being a Christian, if I only live for pleasure, if I only live for the things that, you know, God can give me rather than what I can do to serve him, then ultimately that ends up empty. Does it not? Does it not? It's literally just at the end of the day, God, there's got to be more purpose in my life to this. This is what Solomon came to understand. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 10 through 14, he went on and said this. He said, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the hearts of man, um, um, into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and take pleasure in all his toil. This is the gift of God to man. 
I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that men may fear him, that women may fear him. They may walk in a holy fear before him. He's basically saying that if you're finding that pleasure has an end to itself and it leads to emptiness, it leads to meaninglessness, here's the converse, the opposite side of the coin. He said that whatever he does endures forever. Whatever he does becomes beautiful in its time. Whatever he does actually brings joy because he wants you to enjoy your labor. He wants you to enjoy what you eat. He wants you to enjoy your work. But it's only when it's found camped in him. It's only when it's found in the context of his purposes. How do we know this? Because in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he went on. He said, he who loves money... (laughs) He who said, he who loves money, and I know Chicago is a city that's driven oftentimes by the love of money, and he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This too is vanity, which means that it doesn't matter how much you accumulate, eventually you'll say it's never enough. I can never derive enough security from it, right? I mean, if anybody has any money invested in the stock market right now, you are on a wild ride into the end of this last season, right? Up, 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 up for the past 10 years, and then in an instant, crashola, right? I went through periods of time in my own family's life where they had periods in the 2008 period where they lost 40% of their net worth, and if they had cashed out, they'd have been in trouble, right? But you can't, and what, what, what began to happen in them without God is, is like, I can never have enough. There's never enough that I can earn that's going to provide me peace of mind or security. And what that is, is torment to the soul. What that is, is actually an insecurity that perpetuates itself because you can never get enough of it. I've mentioned this before, but Rockefeller, the great mogul, actually was asked even after his multi-billion dollar um, wealth and fame, he said, how much is enough? And he said, after all of his conquest, after all of his industry, he said, the answer to that is just $1 more. He had more money than anyone could have ever had, but he was never satisfied with it. And ultimately he said, I'd never have the security that I'd need because it's not being found in God. Solomon went on in Ecclesiastes 12 to summarize, and he said this. He said, remember also, if these are the things that don't lead to life, that don't lead to purpose, that don't lead to ultimately your security, he says, remember also your creator, not just when you've conquered your mountain, not just when you've gone through life and done it all your way, right? Frank Sinatra just was at a funeral recently, and the song that they played on their way out was Frank Sinatra's, I Did It My Way. I Did It My Way. And it's like, well, well, really, at the end of the day, I knew that person, and they were bitter. I knew that person, and they were lonely. I knew that person, and they died in insecurity. And they were exalting still at that point. I did it my way, having not remembered their creator, not in their old age, but in their youth. Because what happens is that in your age, it builds on top of the patterns that you're developing, the patterns of life, what you're seeking, what you're pursuing, what you're developing your security in. He said that is all habitual. And ultimately, if you could take a moment as it is now and understand this as a holy moment, God's trying to turn your purpose to life to him and being found in him so that you can actually say this like Solomon did at the end of his days in despair. Remember also your creator, not in your old age, but in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before 
before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I have no pleasure in them, right? I was looking at uh, videos. I, I, again, I, I'm a football fan, and I, I, I love the game, you know, but I'm also very saddened by what it does to the bodies of those who play it, okay? And I've been watching over and over again, you know, like the reports that are coming out about CTE and, you know, the, uh, the, the results of a life of combat, really, as gladiators on the football field, and how many of these men are basically crippled after life. They're, they're having trouble caring for their own needs. They're having trouble with things like dementia, and they're having trouble with um, things like anger, aggression, mood swings, you know, all as a result of a moment in time they got something that they wanted, but at the end of their day, they're paying the price for it. And ultimately, they were asked the question, do you, would you do this all over again? Would you do this all over again? And many of them replied, he's like, I love the life that it afforded me in the moment, right? When I was making my millions in the NFL. But if I knew on the tail end that this was the price that I had to pay for it, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would not go into this life because ultimately I had my pleasure in a moment, but then the days of evil came where I said, I have no pleasure in it anymore. My time has come and gone, and now my body's paying the price for all the pleasures that I was able to pursue. Let's go on. Verse 7, it says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, ultimately, that the end of every man and woman's life, whether they believe in God or not, is their spirit's going to return to their creator. You understand that? See, God is not diminished in his reality. God is not diminished in his existence based on an individual's lack of faith. God is who he is, and people will die and face him in judgment whether they believe in him or not. And this is what he's saying. He says, ultimately, dust will return to dust, that life will return to its creator, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. The end of the matter, then, is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God, respect God, stand in awe of God, acknowledge God, make God the center point of all of your existence. Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Because this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of man. You're wondering, what am I here for? You are here to fear God and keep his commandments. You are made for God's glory. You are made for God's purposes, not your own. In fact, he says you are made by him and for him. Over and over again in scripture, he says your life is not your own. You try to live as if it is, but he says I made you by my power and for my purposes. And when you're living outside of my purposes, you will reap destruction. Number one, in this life, and then ultimately in judgment in hell. But the reason that the Son of God appeared was to save us from the hell to come that is ultimately the destiny of every man or woman who tries to have life without purpose outside of him. He said the reason the Son of God appeared was to live the perfect, sinless life that each of us should have lived, to on the cross take the punishment and the penalty against a holy and a righteous God that we should have taken on himself in um, sacrifice, in substitution for us. And then because he was innocent, because he lived 100% in the purposes of a holy father to be raised three days later from the dead to get forgiveness of sins and new life, 
real purpose to those who would live for him here and now. He said that's the good news of the gospel, that you can repent, turn away from selfish living, turn away from purposeless living, and give yourself to the one who created you. Give yourself to the one who made you. That people have always heard the bumper sticker, and it's a scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, where he says, I know the plans that I have for you. This is God speaking to his exiled people. And he says, they're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And surely you'll come and find me, you'll seek me, and you'll find me, but when? When you seek me with your whole heart. It's not something that you just stumble into. It takes repentance and faith that life without God is meaningless. Life in Christ gives it all the meaning that you were were destined for. And if you're trying to build a life without him, you're going to end up in nihilism. If you try to build a life without the one who made you and created you for his purposes, ultimately despair is your destiny. Destruction is your destiny. But Jesus came to give life and life to the full. He says, for God will bring every deed. This is the end of that Ecclesiastes verse. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's going to judge it all. But he says, I've got hope for you. For those of you who feel like you've blown it, the hope of the gospel is this. There's redemption. There's forgiveness. There's a new life and a new track for you if you would just turn and believe the good news. That life has a purpose in him. The conclusion of the matter is life is meaningless without God, but God gives everything meaning. Life is meaningless without God, but God gives everything meaning. That's the conclusion of the matter. And so when we think about things, what we need to do is think about how we're living. Think about how we're living. Are we living as if there is a God? Or are we living as if there is no God? What we need to, especially as Christians nowadays, do is differentiate between believing God exists and living as if he exists. You see the difference? Believing that he exists and living as if he doesn't exist. One of the fastest growing religions in America is what we like to call practical atheism. Practical atheism. It's not an atheism that you would ascribe to philosophically as if you're declaring that there is no God, but practical atheism is this. It's, po- it's, a, it's a philosophy populated by those who claim to believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist. They claim to believe in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. And in your daily life, you need to think, how am I living? Not just what I ascribe to philosophically, but how is it playing itself out in my life? What we need to do is consider how this view of God um, affects our sense of meaning and purpose. Because if we say we believe in him, but we live as if he doesn't exist, then it affects what we do with our time, 
what we do with our relationships, what we do with our resources, and basically it ends up in the same meaningless list that we would have had as if we said we didn't believe in him. And what he's turning us to in Christ is a living, dynamic relationship that will not only exalt his name, but it will honor his name by how we live. Brennan Manning, he actually said it this way, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. And that's no different than what the scripture said. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, is what Jesus said to the crowd. He said, my name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles, meaning the unbelievers at the time, because of you, us, right? That's what he said. But he says, but when we realize these things, that there's more purpose to be had in a life centered in Christ, then we turn in faith towards that promise that he made us. And then we're able to reorient our pursuits according to his word. And where we'll end is in the words of Jesus himself. Matthew 6, it was Jesus speaking in the famous Sermon on the Mount. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard it before, right? You've at least heard the idea of it. And when Jesus was talking about life's ultimate purpose and saying that it was found solely in him and solely in the purposes that his father had given him, he said things this way. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who was just spoken of in Ecclesiastes, right? The writer of Solomon who came upon all of these conclusions and these revelations. He said, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, in this context, meaning the unbelieving population, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... Seek first. Seek first. Which is always a great message at the beginning of the year, right? Which is always a great message at the beginning of our days. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day. is its own trouble. What Jesus was trying to do is he was saying, listen, if you trust me, if you follow me, I've got the answer to the question, does life have a purpose? And the answer is absolutely, unequivocally, yes. But Christ is that purpose. Christ is that end. 
Jesus and being found in him is ultimately the only thing that will satisfy, the only thing that will redeem, the only thing that will give you the peace, the satisfaction, and the good news that you're ultimately looking for. And the invitation to us all today is whether you're a Christian or not, is to come into that peace today, to come into that life today. If you've not known God up to this point, you can today. You don't have to wait for the duration of our seven-week series. You can say, today I'm stepping out in faith and I'm choosing to order my life purpose around Jesus, the Son of God, and what he's done for me. I'm choosing to embrace the message that was given to me that, yes, I've blown it, but I can turn from it. Yes, I've made mistakes, but God is able to forgive. God is able to wash me clean. God is able to cleanse me. God is able to make me a new man or a new woman. God is able to do these things. And as you do that in faith, in the good news, he will make you new. And he will give you a new track full of forgiveness and good fruit in him. And if you've been a Christian who's been living in practical atheism, saying you believe God, but living as if he is not there, living as if he doesn't exist, this is also good news for you as well. It's good for news for me as well. We can reorder our lives and say, I'm going to put him and his kingdom first. And as I do so, living life in his purposes, then I'll ultimately know and find that which I've been looking for all along because he's got it for me as a creator, the author of life for me. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. So as we consider these things, we're going to have a moment where we're going back into worship. And we'd like you not only to hear the things that are being spoken about, but to actually consider where you are before God. If there's a life of reorientation that needs to take place, then this is your moment to do it. You don't leave here just having heard something and not respond to it. You respond to it by reordering your heart, your life, and thinking through what needs to be done. So use this moment of worship, if you would, please, to have that moment with God. We'll have a moment of communion where we're celebrating his life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection. And that's a perfect time to meet Jesus at the cross. And as we leave this place, again, over the next several weeks, we'll be talking through issues such as these. This was the first, but it goes into many more that are things that we're wrestling with in our society and on an everyday basis in our community. So we invite you out to that, but let's stand for worship now.